Hi, I'm Ella Farrakness and welcome to the Unequal Truths podcast where we hear from successful professionals currently working in the market research industry who, like me, entered from low-income backgrounds. Listen in as guests share their personal journeys in market research and we explore what we can all learn from their experiences to help our industry become more inclusive. Today I'm speaking to Graham Ederham. And so you've been working in market research since you were 17. I don't know how old you are, but I'm going to guess that's that's a fairly long time. It's a very long time. <laughs> it's a very, very long time. So I'm 39. Um, and yeah, it's just crazy. As I was writing that down, like I started at the age of 17 in a call centre. I've seen a lot within the industry. I've seen a lot of changes, but yeah, it also shows how old I am as well, doesn't it? But amazing for this podcast to have such a great fan of perspective. And you've worked across all kinds of methodologies. You've done CATI in a call centre. You've done yeah. CAPI field work support. You've done project management, online project management. You've been a client-side researcher. You've worked in all kinds of organisations like GF- GFK, Research Now, Samson Bourne, and currently now you are a director at which is a software company in the market research space. So lucky to have had the opportunity to work at those organisations. I feel like I've seen the vast majority of what the industry has to offer in terms of roles. Like you said, working at a call centre, first of all, that exposed me. My first introduction to market research was telephones, but it's catty. And then I got the opportunity to go to the head office at GSK. And that's where I started working on CAPI support. And from there, I moved on to working into project management. But that was offline project management, so CAPI, CAPI again. And I feel it was at that point that online research was beginning to take off. As with the industry, it's quite slow to embrace new technologies. And there were a lot of doubts about online. And I think I was at a stage of my career where I, I just needed something different. And I wanted to try something, I'm going to be honest, a bit more exciting. So I decided to join the online team at GFK. They're a very small outfit, but it was incredible the things that they were doing. And I think that's where... I truly began to see what the future sort of held for market research and where we could go. So since then, I've remained within market research, well, remained within the online space and seen it transform and really take over and dominate the industry, which is great. Before we start in earnest, I'm asking all of my guests just some quick fire, top of mind questions. So whatever answer comes first is great. Are you happy okay. to, to play along? Okay, so what is your favourite colour? See, I would say blue. But if I say blue, then um, all my friends know me as an Arsenal fan and would say that I'm, uh, I've let them down. So I'll go red right now. Okay, I like that because I'm uh, Arsenal all the way. So oh, we have something yeah. in common. Okay, great. A star sign. Scorpio. Favorite animal. Dog. Favorite food. Oh, now you've really hit me. Quick <laughs> but it's a toss-up between Chinese, Indian, and Italian. My mum's going to be really disappointed because I should also say Nigerian food. But <laughs> I'm going to go Chinese. Okay. And who would you want to play you in a movie of your life? I mean, I'm going to have to go Denzel. Denzel, there's no one else. I think you're the second person to say that. So, okay. Yeah, well, I mean, it's a good choice. It's a good choice. And what superpower would you like? That's a really good one. It's funny because... I remember being asked this ages ago and I said I'd like the ability to uh, control time so that Mm. I could go back and do things differently. But actually, the older I've gotten, I feel that everything in your past that you've done and been through, it shapes you for who you are now. Mm. So looking back on that, I wouldn't like that superpower. I wouldn't like to control time because if everything that's happened in my past has made me the man I am today. So 
that being said, I would probably go with everything. I'd just be Superman. <laughs> Great. So yeah, let's get into it. The first kind of question I'm asking everybody really is about hearing how you would describe your background and particularly what about your background made you feel different when you entered the market research industry? Well, I'm a black British male. I come from a large family, so there were seven of us, five children, these parents as well. We grew up in an area called Mitcham and at the time it was notoriously racist and we we struggled. We struggled for money, not because my parents were poor, but because they were, we were a large family. So we couldn't afford to go on holiday. We couldn't afford to have lots of nice things. Even just to go out, we couldn't afford to do that because being seven of us, there wasn't enough space in the car. So it was tough, but we had fun growing up. I think growing up in that area really shaped me and sort of gave me thick skin because from a young age, I always knew I was different. <laughs> Regardless, I knew I was different. It was frequently said to me. There were lots of comments. I think at the start, you don't really understand what some of the things being said to you are. And then as you grow up, you realize that people don't like you and you're confused. Why why does this person not like me? And then you get older and you realize it's because you're different and you stand out. So coming into the industry, like I said, I, I started in a call center. And it was, I'm going to be completely honest, I did fit in in the call centre because there were a lot of people in the call centre, the interviewers, they were predominantly from universities. And I started in Wimbledon, so it was originally called National Opinion Poll, MOP mm. in Wimbledon. So we had students coming from Kingston, and Kingston Uni was quite diverse, so I, I felt comfortable and I, fit, I did fit in. Yeah, and I think that's an interesting point, actually, because, sorry to interrupt you there, but this is something I've talked about with some other guests about sort of there's a bit of a divide. I don't know if you want to call it a a class divide, or but between providers and the research side, per se, in our industry. I don't know what you think about that. I'm so glad you said that. I'm not knocking anybody, but the reality is that is true. When I was thinking about this and trying to prep, I was looking at the industry and thinking about the industry as a whole and thinking about is it diverse in many aspects you could say yes it is diverse but it's only when you start looking at the levels of seniority mm-hmm. or if people are researchers or based on the operations side yeah that's when you start to see the disparities the discrepancies within hmm this side is more diverse but that side isn't yeah. and i saw it myself um i i grew up within operations and i loved it i always wanted to try and get onto the researcher side and i think that's where a lot of my struggles came from like trying to break into that i eventually managed to get onto the researcher side and straight away i was the only black person it was fine because at the time i'd been used to that that's that's what i was used to seeing anyway well i could deal with it but other people coming into that sort of world and into that type of job they would really struggle. So I I definitely agree with you. I do think on some aspects we are diverse, but it only depends on the role and the sector that you're in within market research. Agreed. And I'd love to hear more about that sort of crossover and how you made that crossover. And it's interesting to me that you said that even that was, when you look at what the struggle or the difficulties that you've had, that was a part of that speaks to what I intrinsically think I know, but but I'd love to hear more about that story. So maybe the easiest way is to talk about some of those key steps. And it sounds like that might be an interesting place to start. I'm happy to start on sort of how I came into market research. I mean, I'm going to be completely honest with you, and (laughs) I hear this quite a lot when I'm talking to people, but I fell into the industry. Um, I didn't plan to work in market research. I didn't plan to have a career in market research. If you would have said market research to me um, 
when I was younger, I would have said to you, what's that? When I talk to my mum, my family, and they ask what I do, and I say I work in market research, they say, what's that? I remember feeling informed, and you have to put your, your occupation and you scroll down, and there's marketing, but there's no market research. <laughs> yeah, that's still the case. That's still the case. <laughs> love it, yeah. it really is. So like I said, I fell into it. Um, I was working at the old Odeon Cinema in Wimbledon. I quit my job. I literally walked across the road. And this, these were the days where you could hand in CVs, again, showing my age there. <laughs> so I handed in my CV to National Opinion Poll. They called me the same day into an interview, and I got the job working as a telephone interviewer. It's quite funny because... Everybody sees me as this really confident person, but way back then, I was so shy. I would go into the office, I would wear, have a turtle's hat. <laughs> so I was 17, wearing yeah. a Donatello hat, pulled down. I wouldn't speak to anybody. I would just do my work and then leave. I wouldn't interact. I wasn't sociable. I couldn't do anything because I really was an introvert. I love um, the imagery of, of the turtle's hat, by the way. I, I'm glad you added that. <laughs> that, that detail, yeah. <laughs> I'm happy for you to leave that in. <laughs> Great. It's, it's staying. It's done. <laughs> and it's funny, so at the time, uh, the, the manager of the call centre was Jackie Mould, and she was really instrumental in my development and helping me to gain confidence and start to grow up and start looking at my future. I remember I came in late one day, came into the office and apologised, and Jackie said to me, you need to sort yourself up out. Think about what you want to do in life. Like, what role do you want to do? And I turn around and said to her, I want your job. And she never lets me forget it. There'll be so many times I'll be at a research club, I'll see her, and we'll be talking to someone, and she says, oh, well, Graham, the junkie, you always said, I want to take your job. But I think it was at that point that I started thinking about what I want to do. Do I want to move on to something else, or do I actually want a career within market research? So I came back to Jackie and told her I wanted to be a team leader. And that was quite a tough one because at the time I was 18, 19, and that would have meant that I would have been of the leading teams where a lot of people were older than me. But Jackie was amazing and she gave me the opportunity to do that. And yeah, so I got comfortable in that role and then decided that I wanted to look at other aspects. And that's when I, um, I was able to move to Blackfriars House, get to head office. Um, I always say that I grew up in GFK. I really did. So NAP obviously became GFK. And yeah, that's where I saw a lot of the industry. But I was still quite shy, quite quiet. But I started to come out and have a lot more confidence based on a lot of the people that were in my life at that time. So uh, another manager I had at GFK was Zishan Sadiq. Um, he, he was from my area and he was Asian, a person of colour. And for me, that was so good and it really inspired me. It gave me the confidence to keep on. And I knew that if I carried on, I could succeed because I could see somebody who's come from the same background as me who succeeded. I think that's um, fascinating. And I'm really happy that, that you've highlighted that because I think mentors and seeing people is something that has come out in other interviews that I've done for this podcast. So, yeah, that's interesting. I 100% agree. I, and I don't think it's just any old mentors because I, I had mentors along the way. But I think it's seeing somebody that you can relate to in a senior position. And that's definitely something that's going to inspire you and want you to succeed at the highest levels as well. You yeah. can see that there's somebody else like you who's done it, so therefore you can do it as well. So then, like I said, I um, moved to the online world. I think I'm always looking for a challenge. I never want to be sat there and have something that's easy, that I can close my eyes and just get it done. So that's when I decided to move on to research now. Research now was amazing. I quickly got promoted to head up a team there. And like I touched on before, I was always trying to look for an opportunity to 
look at the other side. So I'd always been involved in data collection, but mm -hmm. I wanted to, I'm a bit of a geek <laughs> deep down, and I wanted to be able to look at the data and find out what's done with the data, see how they tell that story, see how they analyze it. So I then went to Vance and Bourne. It gave me exposure to the client side. It was a great time there, but it, that was over in Newbury, and I, I felt that there was still more I wanted to achieve at Research Now. So then I moved back to Research Now, and ultimately from there moved on to Lucid. And it's been incredible at Lucid. I've been able to succeed. I've got an amazing team. And when we talk about, again, I, I mentioned Zishan Tadik, when you look at Lucid and look at the senior leadership there, it's incredible. We've got people of color. We've got people from low-income backgrounds. We've got, we are so diverse and it's something that really helps me feel at home and feel comfortable and allowed me to be myself. And I think that's also what gave me the confidence to just do more, be flexible, do more, work hard, and you are going to be accepted. You are going to be accepted for the work that you do. I'm going to be completely honest with you. We haven't done anything different. So when I talk about Lucid, globally, it's an amazing company. But when I really drill down on it, I'm looking at Lucid and Mia and what they've been able to achieve there is fantastic and it's an example to the whole of the industry so I think they started with Susie, Amel and Ben Amel being a person of colour Susie being part of the uh, lesbian community and Ben being straight white and they decided to build the EMEA branch of Lucid and make it representative but it wasn't forced and that's one of the things that I definitely want to touch on later on in this discussion about in terms of whatever we do in this industry, it has to be something that's natural, organic, and not forced. Mm. It can't be based on quotas. It's got to be based on culture fit. You've got to give opportunities to people. They may not have they want. They may not have the right skill set, but if they've got that desire and you can see something in them that you really feel you can nurture, give them an opportunity and watch them grow and thrive. And this is what we've done so well at Lucid. So that's why I say it's not that we've done something different but it's what we've focused on, it's the core values, and that's what's resulted in such a diverse workforce there. I think it's a great example to have, and even though you, you know, you're saying it's not, it's not different, that's in, an interesting perspective. I think what, I don't see it very much elsewhere in the market research industry. Maybe I'm not looking in the right places. I don't know, maybe you, you, you know more than me, but I think that sort of dedication that you've talked about when I've spoken to other guests, as well mm -hmm. they talk about that extra time there's maybe an initial investment of extra time as you say to sort of nurture people spot a talent and nurture them mm -hmm. and and watch them grow and flourish and i'm not sure that many other organizations are particularly doing that yet yeah i mean just to clarify my earlier point i, I said i feel that we're not doing anything different i feel that we are different from a lot of other organizations, but what we're doing is just we're, we're looking at people that can add value, but people that can also be included within our culture. It's a culture fit. That's one of the key things. And I think everyone can do that. And it's normal. You don't have to go above and beyond. It's not hard to make sure that when you're interviewing somebody, you're thinking about the culture fit. You're thinking about giving somebody an opportunity. You may not have the right skills, but you know if you hire him, 
you can or her, you can still get them trained up. You still know that person's going to put 110 percent in. Yeah, I, I get the, the distinction that you're making. Yeah, that makes sense. And I suppose as well, then the question. And sorry, we're jumping jumping forward a bit here, but it's, it's interesting to, to follow this sort of uh, where we're going with the conversation. Getting the right people through the door. For example, if you started at 17, does that mean you didn't go to university? I like that. I'm, I'm glad you've touched on that because I felt that I started with two strikes against me, and I only had one more strike. So being from a low-income background and being black yep. rolled into one. But equally as well, not having a degree. Yeah. And I, I honestly, I used to beat myself up with that all the time. And I feel that spurred me on to work harder. I felt that I had to work triple as hard as anybody else because of those two aspects. And I touched on the fact that I wanted to become a researcher as well. And when you look at the, the job specs of a lot of these roles, first thing it says, must have a degree. Yeah. So straight away, I'm thinking, well, there's no point. I'm not even going to apply for this. And then I start thinking, well, no, why? Why? Do you know what? If I go there and I'm personable and I can show them what I can do and I show them I've got the desire and the passion I want to succeed, then maybe they'll give me a chance. And I remember there was a period of two years where I was looking to leave GSK and I wanted to be uh, moving to the researcher side, the client side. And... You'd go there, you'd have an interview, you'd mention about the degrees, and I could see it in their eyes. And in the end, sometimes I was told it's because I didn't have a degree. Sometimes I was told something else, but I knew, I, I knew a lot of it boiled down to that aspect. So yeah, I, I feel there's a lot that can be said of, again, going back to giving people a chance, regardless of if they have a degree or not, regardless mm-hmm. of their background, regardless of a lot of things. Sometimes you just need to create the opportunities, and I feel that's what's lacking a lot. We can talk about communities as well. What are you doing to ensure that people are aware potential roles are available? Not just people from universities, but people from outside of that as well. The average Joe on the street, you may find somebody who's perfect, but because that person doesn't know the role is available to them, how are they going to apply? And is that something that Lucid has sort of cracked? Is that what you're saying? Like, that's, I'm interested to know how that's working. I, I'm going to be completely honest. I wouldn't say we've cracked it. There's a lot of work to be done, but we're doing really well. There's a guy in my team. I'm, I'm going to name him Franklin. The guy is absolutely incredible. Um, he came straight out of university, had no idea about market research, had no industry skills that could help him. But he came in and he held his own. You could see that if you gave him a chance and an opportunity, he would be that one person that would be a rising star. And since he's been at Lucid, you should just see his trajectory. It's been incredible. And that's because we gave him a chance. Now, I'm not going to name names, but if we were another company, straight away it would have been, mm, well, he doesn't have any industry experience. So what if somebody doesn't have industry experience? You have to make sure that your talent pool is diverse and that you are given these opportunities. And again, I go back to, not because it's a quota, but because you can see something and you recognize something within that individual, within that person that's applied, and you feel that they could come in and make your organization a better place. There's a massive benefit for them joining your organization. Agreed, and I love your passion around that, and I like how succinctly you were able to put that into words. Thank you very much. I'm a strong believer of just giving people the chance. You don't need to hire because you need this, you need that. Ultimately, just give somebody the opportunity. If it works out, great. If it doesn't work out, make sure you're fast to fix it. And when I say fix it, it doesn't mean firing. It means developing. Look at what the issues are. 
How can we overcome those issues? Ultimately, it's all about coaching and development. Some people may work out, some people may not, but you just have to learn and you have to be decisive. So we've sort of we've gone to the end in a way in that we were like talking about the solution, which is amazing because it can be a struggle to get there. But let's go back a bit and let's talk a bit more about any tangible experiences in terms of your navigation of the industry. <laughs> that's a that's a really good question. Yes, I've had to adapt. I've done really well. I've been given great opportunities, but that's as a result of me putting in so much effort and so much work, so much work. But also as well, I have had to sort of change. So I started the industry as a young black boy with cane rows, wearing baggy jeans in the office. <laughs> and that was me. I was from South London. I spoke in a certain way. Quickly realized that I had to change that. If I wanted to succeed, I had to change. We talk about using telephone voices in the call center, but that telephone voice became my natural voice. I had to take the bass out of my voice to appear sort of less threatening. I had to have a certain mannerisms to appear less threatening and be more accepted. And I feel, obviously, it's sort of hard to admit that, but those are the facts. I feel if I had continued the way I was, and I guess part of that is growing up as well, but there's a massive element of being accepted. You need to be accepted. Once you're accepted, then people will give you opportunities. And I felt that I had to adapt and I had to change because of my background, because of who I was, in order to be fully accepted. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. My next question is, did that come at a cost to you personally? Well, yeah. I mean, of course it did. I, I, at the start, I wasn't being my natural self. Again, like I said, I, I, I was really shy. Really shy. That was my natural self. I had to force being confident. I grew into being confident, but that wasn't me at the start. The, the voice I use now, yes, that's me. But this is years of years of sort of perfecting that voice. Does that make sense? I feel comfortable now and I can talk to you now and it's part of me. But again, it's that it wasn't me at the start at all. And I feel it's just one of those things you, you, you have to realize if you want to succeed, there are things that you just have to do. Growing up, learning, but adapting. And it's hard for you to adapt. But I feel a lot of that as well came from my experiences growing up. Like I said, um, I, I growing up in a, a racist area, I wasn't accepted then. So I felt, I have to be accepted. What do I do to become accepted? And these are the things that I felt I had to do to become accepted, essentially. Because the reason I'm, I'm asking that, I suppose, about the okay. cost, so I've done some small pieces of research into exactly these issues before and kind of spoken at conferences and, and things about different people's experiences. And one of the findings of the research that I did there is I found there were kind of generally, and this is very generic and sort of sweeping way to put it, but what I found is there were sort of two kinds of approaches when you're coming in as someone of different in the industry mm -hmm. one was to embrace all those adaptations and to some extent it's always interesting to talk about this as well because of course within a workplace everyone has to adapt to some extent right in order to, yes. to get yes. ahead however i think there's different extremities to that and it depends on who you are anyway so either you make all the adaptations and you do what you have to do in order to be successful and there might be personal costs so you make the all the adaptations but it comes sort of at a personal cost to you other people might not realize 
what's going on but but you but it comes at a personal cost versus people who may be uh, more in people's face about it, but they know that doing that comes at a cost to their career i.e they're probably not going to get the promotion as quickly or even at all or you know there's going to be compromises that are made because of them being fully being themselves in the space i would say both, both elements of that really true to me. Um, starting up younger, I had to change myself. But where I am now, I wouldn't say that I'm brash or combative, but I am me. Yeah. Um, everybody in my office knows I am me. Everybody in my organization knows I am me. Everybody in my previous organization knows I am me. I will tell jokes. I, I, will, I celebrate the fact that I'm black. I celebrate the fact that I came from Mitcham. I celebrate the fact that I am me now. I never used to do that growing up, but I feel one thing you said about certain compromises in order to get a promotion, et cetera, when you're being upfront and brash, et cetera. I feel I, I, I don't have to do that because I don't overstep the mark, if you know what I mean. So I, I, I always remain humble and respectful, but I feel that I'm at a place in my life where I am very confident in who I am. I'm, I have a team around me that value me for who I am, not what I am, not equally what I've done, but who I am. And that that there, it gives you that confidence. It makes you feel so much more better. And actually, do you know what? There is nothing wrong with who I am. So therefore, I can celebrate it. I can be me. But, like I said, growing up, I did have to change elements of myself. So it, I became the new me. Does that make sense? It does make sense, yeah. And actually, my language is all wrong. But it's not about being thrashing in your face. No, I, I definitely know exactly what you mean. Yeah, but what's interesting is that everyone I've spoken to has sort of come to, and, and I think it's because it's quite senior people that I'm speaking to on this podcast, everyone's come to the conclusion that actually they've come to a place where they're comfortable being themselves and can be themselves. And not only is that good for them, actually, that's how organisations get the best work out of people. Mm-hmm. Bec- and that's where you get the benefit of diversity because once you can be yourself, that's when you bring the extra insight and the different way of thinking and the different ways of looking at things that actually add value. 100%. But ultimately, it all comes back to community and feeling that you're accepted and you're part of it. If you're not accepted, then you're always going to feel, okay, well, what if, what if. If you are accepted, then it's not what if, it's I want to do this, I want to do that. I know that I can achieve this because I've been accepted. You feel engaged, you feel at one, you feel that you've got the support of everyone. And again, honestly, I've been given so many opportunities throughout my career. I've been very, very lucky. I've worked hard at it, but I've been lucky with the opportunities that I've been given. And again, because of my background, because I didn't go to uni, I felt, okay, this opportunity comes up. I'm not going to rest on my laurels. I'm going to make sure I work so hard but I also am going to bring others in as well. Make sure that it's not just a me thing, it's a we thing. And this is one of the things that I always go back to. That's why it's all about community. It's all about culture. Yeah, absolutely. And so can you give me any tangible examples of ways which have enabled that feeling of acceptance? I mean, there's lots. What I would say is I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't be where I am today if I hadn't have been accepted. And that's the harsh reality. And this isn't at Lucid, this is even back at research now. This is people that didn't go out of their way to give an opportunity, but they spotted something in me. They might have, again, like I said, growing up, I was completely different. I was the guy with the cane roller, wearing baggy jeans. I didn't dress like somebody who could be someone in a senior position. But you look at me now, and the proof is in the pudding that once you get accepted, that's, that is what's going to spur you on. I, again, I, I just wouldn't be where I am today 
if I hadn't have been accepted. I work with Ben Hogg. Everybody in the industry knows Ben Hogg. And what his vision isn't about getting people to come here and work for him. It's to work with him. He says to me, you're part of a family, Gwen. This is your home. Those are his exact words to me. We'll go out. We'll go to a meeting. We'll go to a football match. He says, this is your home. Now, imagine hearing that from the most senior person in your office. This is your home. You feel, you know what? This is more than a job. Because this is more than a job, because this is something that I am part of, I want to make it a success. I want to be successful for this to be successful because I am part of building something special here. I think that's one of the major tangible things to me. The fact that hearing those words really, really makes you want to be a success. You know you're accepted. You've been told you're accepted. You don't have any doubts. You don't doubt yourself. You can really go out there and push boundaries. You can really go out there and make decisions. You know you've got the backing of your managers. You may make some wrong decisions. You may make some right decisions. But ultimately, you're always looking for how can I be a success, make a success of myself, make a success of this organization. And I can do that with confidence because I know I've been accepted. That makes perfect sense. And it's a, again, thank you for providing such a clear, solid example that I think people will be able to understand quickly. And so t- tell me a bit more about whether you think your background has had an impact on your career trajectory. And particularly, I'm interested in ways that it might have helped as well as potentially ways it might have hindered. Yeah, I mean, I've got both of them. I, I, I feel that my background has been positive because it's made me want to work harder. It, it's actually not, no, not want to work harder, it's forced me to work harder, regardless of, again, the fact that I'm black, regardless of because I came from a, a low-income background, but even the, the aspect of not going to university. So therefore, that's something that I felt I had to work so much harder than my peers but because of that that's allowed people to see what I'm capable of doing so it's funny when you actually look at it you could actually say potentially would I have made it to this position had I not had the background that I had would I have said to myself well I know I'm going to get jobs I don't need to work as hard so therefore I'm I'm going to work at 50% 60% rather than 110% and then working at that lower percentage no one's actually going to notice the work or what I can do my potential. So I really do feel that my background has had a massive impact and a positive impact. Equally, it's had a negative impact as well, because like I said, I, I felt like I started with two strikes. I felt like I started a few steps back on my peers. I felt that, again, when I tried to enter the research exec space, I felt that I was overlooked because I didn't go to uni, because I didn't look right, because there was, there, was, there was always a because, and I feel if I if my background was different, potentially I could have prospered there as well. So it, it's a hard one. I would say there are, there are aspects of both. But going back to when we were talking about superpower, if I had the ability to change time, I wouldn't. I wouldn't change it at all. If I could change my background, I wouldn't. I really would not change my background because me going through everything that I've seen, the positives and the negatives, that is what's going to help me in trying to build up the next generation and trying to ensure that there's more representation for other people like me from my background who haven't been to university, who want to come into market research and they can see people like me and say, do you know what? I can make it too. Absolutely. And I think it's also, you're a great advert as well. And everyone is, you know, who's, who's featured on this podcast for, like you say, the actual, the benefits that people from a different background to the majority bring, that extra drive, that extra effort and passion that's really come across with a lot of the people that I've spoken to. I like to hear that because it's a good advertisement. Exactly. And, and do you know what? Ultimately, if this does 
lead to people giving more opportunities. To me, that's a win straight away. That is a massive win. I don't have the answer. Look, look what's going on at the moment, the current climate. Things are so bad. 2020. <laughs> <laughs> My gosh, 2020 yeah. is cancelled. Just wake me up when it's 2021. <laughs> but when we look back, so we've, we've had discussions about what's been going on, but there are no, you can't click your fingers and come up with a solution that's going to work. You can't. It's impossible. You can't ask me, how do we fix this? I can't say, how do we fix the issue of um, diversity in senior positions within the industry? I can't do that. But what I can say is the main thing that it's all going to feel down to is opportunity. That's the main thing. You create the opportunities, then you watch the industry flourish. Let the rest just occur naturally. Don't force anything. Do not, forcing things will be the completely wrong thing to do. It's got to be natural. It's got to be organic. And the best way of making sure that happens, provide the opportunities. And so in terms of thinking specifically about market research, do you think that there are any blind spots that the industry as a whole has when thinking about the issue of diversity and inclusion? Well, we've already touched on the operations side versus the research exec side. Mm. Um, when you look at the industry as a whole, so you, you zoom out, zoom out, zoom out, and you look at everybody involved in the industry, if you're not from a diverse background, then you will say, yeah, of course we're diverse. You'd be foolish not to say that. But then when you start really looking and going to more granular levels, that's when you can start seeing that there are blind spots, actually. When you start going up higher up the rungs, you can see that there, there's, there are obvious issues there. When you start looking at the boards of some companies, when you start looking at the senior leadership teams, that's when you start seeing a lack of diversity. But when you look at that company as a whole, from the outside, you'd be saying, of course they're a diverse company. So I think that's definitely something that needs looking at. I, I wouldn't say there's an issue across the board within the industry, but I would say that we do need to start looking at how can we start getting more diverse people into positions of seniority. How can we get people onto the company board? How can we get people heading up their own companies from a diverse background? These are definitely some of the things that need to be looked at. And it's not going to happen overnight, but it shouldn't happen overnight, which is why I go back to this has got to be natural. Give the opportunity for somebody to do it. Empower them. Make them feel accepted. Let them know that this is their home and then watch them thrive and prosper. Great. So we're coming towards the final section of questioning. This is flying by. <laughs> I know. There's so much to say. <laughs> it always goes fast, these interviews. So what do you think we can learn from your experience? <sighs> That's a tough one. If I was to sum it up, I would say don't give up. Never give up. Never give up. I would say, and I hate to say it, but you have to adapt. You know, the thing is, change is inevitable. If you can't adapt to change, then you're just going to fail anyway. So therefore, there are always going to be certain aspects, regardless of your background, whether you're, whether you're black, whether you're white, whether you're Asian, whether you're straight, whether you're lesbian, whether you're gay, there are always going to be certain aspects of you that you are going to have to adapt. But you should feel comfortable in being able to adapt to a certain degree. And that's why I hate to say that, but that is the reality. You have to be comfortable to adapt to some form of change. You need to have thick skin as well. Obviously, you're going to get knockbacks and knockbacks and knockbacks. But if you want to succeed, embrace that. Let that fuel your desire to continue because we we all know so many people that have continual knockbacks and they've said, that's it, I'm, I'm not going to carry on. Mm-hmm. I didn't do that. I could have easily done that. I could have easily done that. But I had a great team around me. I had great support. And that's the other thing. You are only as good as the people around you. 
If you've got a great team, then you will do great. If you don't have a great team around you, you're not going to do great. It's not about the I. It's not about the you. It's about the we. And I'm a massive advocate for working as a team because it goes back to acceptance and being part of the community. Without that, it's like a football team. Imagine Arsenal and we're playing Man United and we've got 11 players and they've just got that one individual. Of course we're going to beat them. Once they get their 11 players, it's going to be harder for us to beat them where Arsenal will still beat them. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> Watch all the comments for this now. <laughs> those are the sorts of things that I would highlight from my experiences. I would love people to take note on and learn. Is there anything that you think could have or would have been helpful to you personally that you didn't get? Yes, there is. So <laughs> I, I would have liked to have seen some form of support network for people similar to me. Like I touched on already, Zishan at GFK, somebody from my background, somebody that I could relate to who's very relatable, also spoke similarly to me as well. But that was just one person and it would have been great to be able to go to conferences, go to events and see so many more people like me. It would have been great to have been mentored by people like me, being given advice and guidance and leadership by people like me. And that leads me on to an initiative that I'm working on myself, actually, with a few other individuals within the industry. And we're looking at trying to increase representation across the industry, trying to get more people from a diverse background into more senior roles trying to ensure that when we go around, when a new generation enters the industry and looks around, they're comfortable, they feel at home straight away. So watch this space. There's going to be a lot more hopefully coming. And I'm really excited about this. It's a great initiative. There's some great people involved in this. And I really feel that it's going to have a massive impact in the industry in a positive way. I'm so happy to hear that. Sounds amazing. And I'm so happy that this is happening because it's long, long needed. We're hoping to launch with a bang to make a lot of noise. And we just want the industry to stand up and take note. It's mm -hmm. not about telling people you're doing wrong. No, nobody's doing wrong. But everybody can do better. Not better for the sake of, oh, we have to do it, but better because we want to do it. Better for the legacy of the industry. I agree. I think that's what I was about to say. Better because we need to do better. Because frankly, exactly. this is it's a personal passion, an important thing to me. However, actually, it's, it's about the future of the industry and safeguarding yeah, that. Re yeah, research, you know, impacts every aspect of everybody's lives. You name it. Everything's been influenced by research. And if we can't mm -hmm. do better in terms of representing a more holistic picture of the world as it is, how can we possibly survive or justify surviving definitely fully agree with you there it's about future proof in the industry cool two more questions for you first one is actually three more questions sorry um <laughs> so one is how well you think the industry is doing currently like i just said a couple of minutes ago we can do better now i'm not going to come here with a stick and say they're not no one's doing well at all there's places where things are going well organizations that are really standing up the places where organizations could do better i think there's a lot of work that needs to be done we can see this it's, it's, it's evident there's lots of work that needs to be done i would love for there to be a body that would work with our initiative where we can start looking at how do we try to solve this issue across the industry but yeah it, it's a tough one that, that, that there are things that are going well but there's just a lot more work that's needed. And so what are your hopes for the future? <laughs> to see more representation across the board to ensure that my children will want to actually join within the market research industry, not fall into it, and will feel comfortable 
from the start. They will look around and say, there are people like me here, and they will thrive. That's what I want. I want to make sure that it's something I fell into, but I've obviously stayed since I was 17. I love the industry. I want it to prosper, but I also want it to be relevant and ensure that we are covering that everybody feels comfortable. Everybody, males, females, non-binary, whoever you are, you have a place within this industry. That's what I would love to see. I love that. So final question, and I've asked everybody to choose a song that yeah. they feel encapsulates their experience of a career in market research. So I'd like you to tell me a bit about the song you chose and why you chose that. <laughs> so I chose Ain't No Stopping Us by DJ Luck and MC Meek. Growing up, Garage was me. I absolutely loved it. I was a DJ. It helped me to feel that I was a part of something, and that was my first exposure to being as part of the community so it was always going to be a garage song second part of that is the title song itself ain't no stopping us like i said earlier you can't give up you can't stop don't let anybody stop you the moment you let somebody stop you you fail they win but if you continue no matter how many knockbacks you get no matter how much you feel you know what i don't belong or whatever you carry on you carry on you carry on don't let no one stop you ain't nobody stopping us and the moment you get to that place where you feel like you're part of a family, when you feel like you're home, watch how much you succeed. Love that song choice. I was definitely a garage raver myself. I was a fem- <laughs> female skanker. So I'm with you there and love the song choice. Thank you for being a guest. And thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode and if you've been following the series, I hope you've heard something that resonates or has led to action of some kind. I'm currently planning the next series which will be released in the autumn. In the meantime, please share this series and get in touch if you'd like to know more. Most importantly, thanks to all my amazing guests who have been so open in sharing their stories.